Sam. And we're just here to cause chaos. Let's do this. Exactly. So, Sam, I am terrified of whoever person you've chosen. I would be less terrified of who I've chosen and more terrified of the fact that I wrote these notes last night after a full day of work, a workout at my gym where I train in jujitsu, and then I like low-key like broke my side while I was training. So I poured myself a glass of wine when I got home because I was in pain, and I wrote these notes in that state. So there was like no healthy coping mechanisms in that? (laughs) Well, I worked out and like, really I got home and my options were like an Advil or a glass of wine. And I was like, I'd rather the wine. Great. Sam, what have I told you about using alcohol as a coping mechanism? It's not a coping mechanism. It was a pain reliever. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) I don't use alcohol as a coping mechanism. I used to watch CW shows and yell at the characters. One of the things I would yell at them is, stop using alcohol as a coping mechanism. Why are you saying used to? Like, that wasn't something we did when we lived together. (laughs) Well, we also used to live together. (laughs) It's always present in my heart. I still do it now. That's not exactly relevant, though. So, Ellen, you ever heard of Queen Isabella? also known as the She-Wolf of France. You know what? I don't think so. Ah, well, this is a wild story that gets to pair with some wild notes. So. Oh, great. So we'll start off at the beginning of her life because that's what we do. Isabella was born sometime between April 1295 and January 1296 in Paris. It's always um, good when we don't know the exact birth date. Yeah. They kind of like narrowed it down to that time period based on like how old they said she was at her wedding and like how old her brothers were because of course we know what the dates her brothers were born and they were like cool based on those pregnancies and how old she was supposed to be at her wedding this is kind of like the time period they narrowed it down to but she was the youngest surviving child and only surviving daughter of philip the fourth of france and joan the first of navarre who were the king and queen of France. She had three brothers, Louis, Philip, and Charles, who would all become king at some point. Wow. Did they just yeah. die quickly? I did not look into it. Oh, okay. And just so you know, her dad was known as Philip the Fair because he was hot AF. And yes, that is what I wrote in my notes. So this is a taste of how the rest of this is going to go. Yes. Her mom died when she was really young, and there are some who think that her dad actually killed her mom, but, like, probably not, but, like, I had to include that because that would be wild if it was true. Oh, yeah. Murder is always... it's pretty sexy. Yeah. And she was raised at the Louvre, but my sassy late-night self wrote, how much raising really happens before age 12? because that is when she leaves France for most of her life. That's a decent Uh, amount of raising. Yeah, but like, think about your life. How many solid memories do you have before age 12? Yeah, but that's not how raising works. Raising is just taking care of a child. I don't know. I am upset about what happens to her at age 12 and then therefore unimpressed by her parenting. Okay. Sure, what happened to her at age 12 that made you so upset? 
Well, she got sent to England to get married. God damn it. Yeah, we're, we're about to get there. But first, she was known throughout her entire lifetime for her diplomatic skills, her intelligence, and her beauty. Later, like after she died, she's often depicted in the media as a femme fatale figure. And she also really liked to read. Uh, Every one of those things you listed was hot. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. I love her. She is like no notes on her life, honestly. (laughs) Except for maybe the getting married at 12 thing. She was married by proxy at actually 10. So married by proxy is when like someone goes and like stands in for her at her wedding ceremony to be like, they are married. They're just like not together yet. Gross, but I think I remember reading like around this time when these weird child marriages happened, they like recognized that it was weird and it's just like, we're married for the Alliance, just the Alliance, she lives over there. Well, Pope Boniface VIII wanted the marriage to happen as early as 1298, which if you don't remember, she was born sometime between 1295 and 1296, so she was like two to three years old when this guy was like, let's marry them by proxy, like, now. (sighs) However, there were some contract disputes about the wedding and therefore was pushed until after the King of England, Edward I, died in 1307, and then they could get married by proxy. Of course, that's the only reason we didn't marry a two-year-old. Exactly. That is actually (laughs) the only reason they didn't marry a two-year-old. Contract disputes. Mm-hmm. And so when she was 12, she was sent to England to be married to the King of England, Edward II. Edward II, however, was born in 1284. Wait. Mm-hmm. You want to do that math? You want me to just tell you? Just tell me. He was 11 years older than her. He was 23 when he married a 12-year-old. Also gross. I'm really mad about it. It'd be like me marrying a 12-year-old right now. Oh, I don't like to think about that. Don't do not do that to me. Think about it, because I had uh, to. I'm just, I'm waiting for you to tell me that, like, it explicitly gets really bad. Or is she just, like, living in a palace and not interacting with a man who's 11 years older than her? So, Edward II was, like, so aggressively homosexual, it's not even funny. <laughs> Yeah, nothing was going to prepare me for that. (laughs) He had a favorite, yes, I used very strong air quotes on that, people, who was named Pierre's Gavestone, and he really liked Pierre. The man was described as arrogant, uh, ostentatious, reckless, and headstrong, (laughs) but, like, Edward II was into that, I guess? Uh, I wrote in my notes that he has a type and it was not good. He liked bad boys. Yeah, he really did. Um, This is a through line in his life. But, like, this is to the point that Edward chose to sit with Pierre's rather than Isabella at their wedding. Okay, like, I know that you're all very very offended by this story so far, but, like, this seems like the best case scenario for a woman in this time period. I mean, a little bit... Except for the fact that, like, Edward also started refusing to give her, give, like, Isabella the lands that were supposed to be hers, or, like, a household of her own. Oh, and you gotta at least be he, nice to your beard. Come on. 
Yeah, he like started giving Piers her jewelry and then Piers would wear it in public. It's kind of funny though. I don't know, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> no, this kept getting like going on until Isabella's father, the King of France, had to get involved and like send a note being like, treat my daughter correctly or I'll go to war with you. <laughs> Stop giving all her jewelry to your gay lover. <laughs> oh my god. And historians were like, some people believe that Piers and Edward were having a homosexual relationship, but there's no proof of that. And I'm like, that is some historian bull right there. <laughs> Sappho and her friend. Yeah, that is some. Sappho would be unimpressed. <laughs> this man was giving another man his wife's jewels and like sitting with him at his wedding. And I'm just like, and they like lived together. It's like, fam, we know what was going on here. Do the math. God, that's like anyone who looks at Achilles and Patrocles being buried in the same urn and saying, yeah, that's a Fred thing. Anyone who belittles the rage of Achilles into just like a good bro moment can fight me. <laughs> Their love is pure. It is so pure. And everyone <laughs> should go read the Song of Achilles. It was, it probably is my favorite book. Oh, wow. So good. I'll put it on the list. Uh, I had so many feelings. I loaned it to a friend who apparently had like never read anything about the Trojan War in her life and did not know the end was going to be tragic. And I and then she kind of looked at me and was like, why would you give me such a sad book? And I was like, have you not like been in the world? Like, have you not heard of the Trojan War? This <gasps> you is your own fault, honey. Spoilers. <laughs> On a, what, 4,000 year war? Like, I, I can't help you if you don't know, like, the most basic details of the Trojan War. So, but back to Isabella, because, you know what, her, this is one of many, I'm sure, not standable husbands we're talking about, because I do not stand Edward II. God damn. However, Isabella did support him. And she used her ties to the French monarchy to get herself like a good little amount of power for herself. She was really powerful in the court. Everyone liked her. She was a politician like through and through. She was one of those manipulative women that Mary Wollstonecraft wouldn't have liked. But we stand. Yeah, I mean, I stand it so hard. You know, my entire type here is like slightly manipulative woman who like get what little power they can for themselves. No, no, that's not a criticism of Isabella. That's a criticism of the society she's in. Oh, okay, I agree. But there's also a chronological account of her wedding that said she was the beauty of the empire, which is real creepy when you think about the fact she was 12 at her wedding. It's an actual child. The... Yeah, no, actual child. Ugh. And despite the fact that her husband 100% was not sexually attracted to her, they had four kids. Huh. Are we sure they're his kids? 50-50. <laughs> Some historians use the fact that they had four kids as proof that he was not in fact a raging homosexual. However, I, I call that, you know, it was their duty to have a couple kids. That was like the entire job of monarchs. So real question. What was Pierre doing doing during those nights? I mean, probably stewing and, like, being upset. <laughs> oh, I was thinking he was there as well. Oh, that's very possible. <laughs> I would not put it past them. 
Piers and uh, Isabella actually end up being like friends after a while. Once Edward starts like giving her her due, he, they like kind of become like besties. That's amazing. I know, right? It's possibly my favorite fact. <laughs> but we'll get there. Because at this point in history, there was war brewing between <gasps> the king and the powerful baron class of England. Oh no. Yeah. And it all really like came to a head starting in 1311 when Edward led a campaign against the Scots that was a big fail for him. Is this um, the Magna Carta? I don't think so, because I, I'm sure that would have come up in my research if it was. Yeah, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, so I don't think this is that. All right, so war didn't go well. Yeah. What next? So they lost this battle with the Scots and Isabella and Edward like barely escaped. Mm -hmm. And the barons were pretty mad about this. They signed a big document, which was more or less like a, this is bad, we don't like this. Uh, it, which like, it was like a petition pretty much being like, we're upset. And they also at the same time expelled Isabella's two biggest supporters from like the royal court. Oh, no. And that wasn't good. In another battle that happened fairly soon after that was kind of like the beginning of things not going great with Edward and Isabella, Edward kind of abandoned Isabella at some castle for her own protection, air quotes again. Um, but she was not happy about this and she, she got away like just barely. However, the fight like got pretty bad and Piers was captured. <gasps> no. And the Piers uh, and Piers was killed by the Baron class in 1312. No. Yeah. But first, like a little bit more about Piers and Isabella's relationship, because you know, we gotta just make sure that like we know that this was the best things we're gonna get in her relationship with her husband. Right. Oh, and by the way, just because it's gonna bug me, apparently the Magna Carta was in like 1215 so about a hundred years earlier okay yeah I, so that's I already was like happened. pretty positive that if it had been the magna carta i would have seen that somewhere no i just need to know when it was i'm glad i'm glad you figured it out okay now tell me about their relationship okay so originally like back when they first got married isabella's father kind of sent a bunch of funding to the barons as like a sort of revenge for his daughter being overlooked and he used Isabella's household as an intermediary for these funds. So he'd like send Isabella a bunch of money, be like, give this to the barons. However, That's petty AF. Oh no, it's super petty. Isabella's dad actually like really supports her throughout her life. And I kind of love it. Like her oh, whole yeah. French but family, like really. father. And brothers. Oh, nice. Yeah, her whole like French family really like takes good care of her. But before Pierre's death, so like, in like a good bit before Pierre's death, he was exiled to Ireland for a hot minute. And while he was gone, Edward started treating Isabella right. Like he gave her money, he gave her the land she was owed, he gave her a household, he like took care of her. And so when this all started happening, her dad stopped funding the barons, which was like a good bit before Pierre died. And so when he came back from Ireland, the three of them kind of lived together for a while and it was very peaceful. Isabella and Piers became frenemies, at least, like possibly besties. In my head, they're besties, but they were probably more frenemies. <laughs> um, 
they kind of all three lived together in like low-key harmony for a while like it it worked out for them yeah however 1312 came along and the barons got peers and at this point edward swore revenge and he started the dispenser wars now these are called dispenser partially because not long after Pierre's death, Edward took on a new favorite, air quotes, named Hugh Dispenser the Younger. I'm also going to go back to the fact that this man started a war over the death of his quote-unquote friend. And we're, we're still going with the friend line. Yeah, you know, the rage of Achilles was a bro moment, so... <laughs> Edward took on a new favorite, Hugh Dispenser the Younger, and Isabella could not stand his guts. <laughs> he sucked. Oh my god. We are not fans of the Spencer family as a whole. They became, like, very entrenched with Edward. The whole family, like, Hugh Dispenser the Younger, Hugh Dispenser the Elder, they, like, were whispering in his ears, giving him all this, like, awful advice. And more or less are the reason that, like, it all goes downhill from here. Like, I blame most of the rest of the story on the dispensers. And so by 1325, her feud with Hugh was putting a massive strain on their marriage. Like, they could not be in the same room at that point. I mean, he ruined their polycule. Yeah. They had a perfectly amicable gay relationship with the beard <laughs> going on. And Hugh just came in and destroyed it. Don't you hate it when that happens? Yeah, I, I really do. But the dispensers were funding and egging on this war real hard and like really were to blame for it. And so at first, Isabella went on a diplomatic mission to France to get her some support for her husband because they were like still friends. This was like pre 1325. And during this diplomatic mission, Isabella saw her family. And she gave presents to her family. She gave embroidered purses to her brothers and sisters-in-law. And when she got back to London, she noticed that two Norman knights were carrying the purses she'd given her sisters-in-law and then concluded that must mean they were having an affair. So the next time she saw her dad, she mentioned that all three of her sisters-in-law were in prison for adultery, two of them for life and one for a year. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Which like, I'm, I'm going to bring this up later, but it was a little bit of throwing rocks at a glass house here. <laughs> so we'll talk about that in a minute, though. Because after she got back from France on this first diplomatic mission, things took a turn for the worse in England. Edward failed at fighting the Scots again because he sucked. And there was a man named Thomas of Lancaster, who was Edward's biggest rival, like the head baron dude, like head bitch of the barons. And he started to consolidate power after this. He even started harassing Isabella's household at every chance he got, because we hate him. And then around the same time, the Great Famine of 1315 to 17 began all over England. And there was a dude named John Dradus who showed up in Oxford claiming to be the real Edward II and having been switched at birth, which, you know, is an absurd claim, but people weren't happy with Edward at the time, so they were kind of into it. What? A man yeah. just showed up and said, I am the real... Yeah. 
this man was eventually executed, but you know, it kind of took a like Edward kind of took a hit because of it. I guess that yeah. And then at one point, some Scottish generals tried to personally capture Isabella in 1321, and they almost succeeded at York, which led uh, her to believe that someone in her own household had betrayed her location, which, like, isn't good for your confidence. No, but honestly, she might have been better off with the Scots. You know, I don't necessarily disagree, but, like, the Scots weren't great. <laughs> they don't treat her daughter right, let's put okay, it that way. fine, but just objectively... Anyone's better than the British. Fair. In the same year, 1321, the Lancasters demanded the exile of the Spencer family, or they said they would go to like full on war. And so, what had they been doing? They'd been like proxy warring it so far. They were like going to war the same way that like the US is ever at war nowadays, where it's like, we're at war, but there's been no declaration. They were like, we will declare war if the Dispenser family doesn't get exiled. <laughs> and so Isabella publicly went to her husband and like got on her knees and begged him to exile them, which he did. But then he brought them back like as soon as he could. Because <laughs> we God him. damn it, Edward. Yeah, no, we're done with Edward. We're always, we haven't, we never started with Edward. No. Like I was kind of into Pierre's for a minute there, but never Edward. <laughs> So yeah, also the Dispenser War was only officially started after the Dispensers returned to England in the fall of 1321, even though like all the stuff that had been happening up to this point was like kind of associated with it. Like this is when like the war was declared. And officially, Isabella was helping her husband in the beginning. She even helped him like get the the original official declaration of war going by going to visit Lord Bottlesmere who was a baron supporter at his castle because when she was refused entry that was like a slight on the royal family's what honor or whatever and so they were able to use this to justify an actual war because yes her not being allowed to come hang out inside their castle was a reason for war apparently that's so dumb so dumb and in the beginning of the war isabella had like a lot of power too she assumed the great seal which is like war powers in England. I don't don't ask me about ancient English war terms, but she had the Great Seal. And she also had complete control of the Tower of London and the Royal Chancery during the war. And I'm just going to put this here now. It will be important later. There is another family named the Mortimer family, and they were on the Baron side of the war at this point. Just like keep that name in your head. Okay. Are they the bad guys? No. Okay. Again, these notes were written by like a not fully there me and therefore are a little messy. But yes, after some initial victories, Edward's, Edward and the Spencers imposed harsh rules over all of England. They imprisoned and executed extended family members of the people who opposed them, which included some women and elderly people. That's just and rude. Even, yeah, it's very rude. And it included a decent number of Isabella's recently widowed friends, which she was unhappy about. And Hugh was kind of awful to Isabella. He refused to pay her money that he owed her or return her castles after he had like used them for battle. Like he would use a castle that belonged to Isabella and then be like, ah, well, this is mine now. And she'd be like, no, I loaned it to you. Like, I'll take it back now. And he'd be like, nope, it's mine. 
just she she started a war because she wasn't allowed in a castle and then when a castle is stolen from her she just she just has to deal well it was stolen from her by her husband's boyfriend so uh, worst polycule ever yeah it gets worse because there is a decent amount of evidence out there that at some point Hugh tried to physically assault her we're not really sure in what fashion but like at some point, he made unwelcome physical advances on her. Yeah, that that's just bad all around. Yep. Doesn't really matter what way. Just bad. Yep. I, I, you know, I wasn't a fan of Hughes before that. And then after that, I was like, wow, I'm excited for his death. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a spoiler that he dies because this was in the 1300s. He was going to die eventually. Yes. And also, once Hugh showed up, Edward was way less generous towards Isabella, because, like, Pierre's kind of kept Edward keeping Isabella happy, but Hugh had no such inclinations. So Isabella got no spoils of war, she got no annual salary, she got nada, pretty much. Why hasn't she killed Edward yet? You know what? Don't spoil things. Oh my god. <laughs> Why? So... Isabella was officially super done with her husband and Hugh after another failed battle with Scotland. At this point, her husband rode south and abandoned her at some castle, and she was terrified, worried for her safety, and asked for help from her husband, which he did not give her. He offered to send some of the dispenser troops to come and, like, support her, but she was like, no, I don't want their troops. They hate me. Like, send me some loyal troops. <laughs> And so she ended up on her own, completely cut off from the rest of the army by the Scottish, which just like her personal guard. And it ended up with a group of squires, which are like the level under knights. Like they're the guys who are supposed to like hold the knights water while they go off and fight pretty much. But the squires had to go in and hold off the assault while the last of her knights found a ship that they could like steal. And her like group got away, but only after like losing all of its squires and two of her ladies-in-waiting died and she was pissed should be yeah she was so mad at edward and the dispensers because the dispensers convinced him to retreat and leave her behind and edward did it and she just showed back up to like the royal court steaming after this for the like very short amount of time that they were still together they lived completely separate lives good and, they should have been yeah. doing that in the beginning Honestly, yeah. But in 1322, Isabella went on a 10-month solo trip around England to, like, find herself, I guess. And when she got back, her husband removed her from the process of granting royal patronage, which is just a douche move. And then in 1324, tensions with France started to grow. And so, like, England and France were kind of on the outs. And you'll remember Isabella was originally the Princess of France before she was the Queen of England. And so Edward and the dispensers used this as an excuse to take away all of Isabella's lands. They took over running her household. They removed her youngest children from her care and gave them to the dispensers to raise. They took and they, her kids? Yeah, they took her children. That was really the last job for her. That was when she was like, oh, great, I'm going to overthrow this entire government. But we're not there yet. <laughs> and also, like, so what if England and France aren't getting along? 
that's just what they do. Yeah, they literally got along for like a hundred years in all of history. But they also arrested all of the French members of her household. And she was so beyond over him at this point. Like, she was... God, I just want some murder to happen, Sam. You know what? We need a few more steps first. God damn it. <laughs> so yeah, at this point she went back to France on like the... She like claimed she was going to like try and get a peace treaty together with England and France, but she showed up at her brother, King Charles, because this is the third brother. I don't know what happened to the first two. I didn't look it up. But <laughs> but she showed up to the court of King Charles, and her brother was like, oh, you have been treated poorly, um, and we're pretty pissed at England right now. So she took So he took all of England's lands in France away in 1325. Good. Admittedly, Edward, because he's the worst, had also been trying to, like, get away without paying his land taxes in France because, so under Isabella's oldest brother, he had, like, gotten away without paying, and then the middle brother, he had paid, but only, like, begrudgingly because they had, like, threatened to take away all his lands, and then he was trying to get out of paying with the youngest brother again, and the youngest brother was like, I'm actually taking the lands this time. So the original agreement with Edward II was that he would start like paying proper tribute again to get some of his lands back. And so he sent his son, Edward III, who was at this point 13 to France to like give the proper homage to the king that he was supposed to give because his father is technically a duke in France and as well as like the king of England. And Edward was too much of a bitch to go do it himself. So he sent his son. Is his son also Isabella's son? Yes. Okay. And so at this point, both Edward III and Isabella are in France, and Isabella's like, what if we just stayed? And she <laughs> keeps her son in France with her, really pissing off Edward II, who kept sending letters being like, please send them home to King Charles, who was like, this is my sister. I'm not going to send her home unless she wants to go. <laughs> because he's a standable brother. And he also refused to give all the lands back because he was like, you've pissed off France one too many times, so we're not giving it all back. At this point, Isabella began dressing as a widow, claiming that Hugh had killed her marriage. It's so petty. It's so petty, and I'm so here for it, Ellen. I am also so here for it. Yeah, she even <laughs> began to assemble a court in exile of, like, English noble people who had been exiled to France because of their disputes with the king being like, ah, oh, yes, my dead husband because our marriage is dead. Come, like, follow me instead. She's like, my husband, my husband is dead. Meanwhile, he's just sending a letter saying, <laughs> come back to England. Like, I can sometimes. still hear his voice sometimes. <laughs> you get me. I do. You get the reference. I did. But also, while she was in France, she met a na man named Roger Mortimer. Mortimer. You might remember the name Mortimer, because I pointed it out earlier. Yeah, he was mentioned beforehand. Mm-hmm. Callback. <laughs> and Roger Mortimer was an English exile who was living in France. He had previously been imprisoned in the Tower of London, but had escaped by digging a hole in the stone wall. Because old prisons are an actual joke. <laughs> cool. You know what, you probably don't know the answer, but was this, by chance, when Isabella was in charge of the Tower of England? 
It was. <laughs> so, that sounds like a bad job. <laughs> or, as some historians claim, Isabella might have helped him escape. <laughs> we are unsure about that, but in my heart, she did. What, she gave him the large poster of a woman to put over the hole? Or possibly the rope ladders he used to climb down afterwards. So at this point, the two began an affair. Which, you might remember, Isabella got three of her sisters-in-law arrested for sleeping with people when they were married, so... Yeah, I mean, but also her husband is sleeping with people the entire time she's been married. Yeah, but I'm sure so were the kings of France. But some historians refer to their love as one of the great romances of the Middle Ages. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Since female infidelity was such a serious offense, this was like a huge risk they were both taking. If they had been caught, Roger would have been executed for sure, and she'd have been in prison for the rest of her life. I'm just imagining her, like, defending herself, being like, in my defense, our marriage is dead. Do you see the black? <laughs> oh my god, that would be a fun trial. It never happened, but it'd be a fun trial. <laughs> Roger and Isabella shared a love of Arthurian lore, the fine arts, and high living, which, you know, I wasn't going to include until I saw that the reason they fell in love was because they were both into, like, English mythology, and I was like, that is worth mentioning. Oh god, they're nerds! They're nerds! <laughs> and together, Roger and Isabella decided to dispense with her husband and unseat the influence of the Dispenser family. Are we finally getting to murder? We're almost there. Okay. This isn't gonna be like Annie Oakley where I thought we were gonna get to crime. And there was no crime. Hey, there was... libel. <sighs> That's a crime. It's a boring crime. Don't worry. We're, this this gets exciting. Okay. Admittedly, I did not include any of the military details, partially because these notes were already six pages and partially because tired me didn't care enough. That's fair. But You don't come to the Feminist History Podcast looking for detailed military analysis. No. You come here to hear about Isabella leading a mercenary army into England in 1326, yes. which quickly overtook her husband's forces. She raised this army of mercenaries by using the money from her son's dowry, because while they were in France, she betrothed her son to like a rich family who was also her cousin, but like we're not going to talk about incest because this was the 1300s. Um, <laughs> so she betrothed her son to a super rich family and got a loan from her brother to pay for the mercenaries, and her son's newly betrothed in-laws gave her some men and ships also to help out. And when she got to England, almost immediately the Lancaster forces surrendered to her and so she allied with them. And you'll remember the Lancaster forces were like the ones who were fighting Edward at this point. And she even, once they like took, because she's petty, once they took her husband prisoner, she let the Lancaster forces be the ones to imprison him for a hot minute. <laughs> And when Isabella's army showed up, Edward's army just, like, disappeared. Like, they deserted him 100%. Like, they were gone. That tells you a lot about his skill as a military leader. Pretty much. He sucked in every way, shape, and form, and we don't <laughs> stand him. At this point, Isabella deposed her husband and became the regent on behalf of her son, Edward III. 
technically Edward II was the first English king to ever abdicate the throne, even though he did it like by force, he was still the first. And, and some historians, including myself, believe that Isabella had arranged the murder of her husband. Intrigue. So pretty much the legal standing for deposing him was shaky at best. Like, Parliament had agreed to it, but they could change their mind at any point and put Edward back on the throne. And Edward II was known to be a super vengeful person, and so she was pretty sure that if he ever got back on the throne, that would be it for her. And she knew it was best to get him out of the way. And more or less, Isabella had him transferred from the custody of the Lancasters to the custody of the Berkeleys, which was another family. And at that point, he suffered a fatal accident. <laughs> there is a famous myth that there is absolutely positively no proof for, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> that she wrote a note that, depending on the placement of a comma, either said, do not fear to kill Edward, it is good, or do not kill Edward, it is good to fear. <laughs> I I hope that's true. There's that no more details about the fatal accident. Was it I like I don't have any. Oh. There so the circumstances of his death were very hush-hush. He was almost immediately buried. His heart was put in a casket and given to Isabella. <laughs> and... What like evil queen Snow White style? Yeah. <laughs> but Pretty much, we don't know how he died. We're not entirely, actually, some people aren't entirely sure that he did die. Some people think that he escaped and in order to cover her ass, Isabella was like, oh, he died. And then there's like definitely a body that was buried, but we're not entirely sure if it was his or a guard that he killed during his escape. Yeah, who, whose heart does she have in a box then? In my headcanon, it's his, and he died because she or, or, ordered his murder. But there are some historians who believe that he actually survived and escaped to Europe and like lived as a hermit for the rest of his life, blah, 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 boring. Yeah. <laughs> However, we are completely positive that Isabella had the entire Dispenser family executed. They deserved it. They really did. We did not like them. And... So at this point, Isabella and Roger were co-ruling England. They ruled together for four years, and they were not popular. <laughs> so Isabella had always been, had like a very rich lifestyle. Her father kind of like hoarded money and like earned a lot of money and liked to live richly, and she inherited a lot of that tendency. And so I mean, she was ruling more or less by herself. She lived lavishly, which honestly wasn't even the biggest complaint against her. The biggest complaint against her was that she resolved the war with Scotland, and the English hate the Scottish for some reason and were really upset that they were now at peace. You know what? That has some, that has some parallels to many occasions in U.S. history. It does, but I still find it stupid. <laughs> But pretty much, Isabella signed a treaty with the Scottish that married off her daughter Joan to the Scottish heir apparent, and had her son give up his claims to any lands in Scotland in exchange for a ton of money. And also, she agreed that they'd both support each other in military events as long as they weren't against 
France. That was the only enemy they wouldn't fight together. People were like weirdly pissed off that she made this like seemingly reasonable agreement with, with Scotland. But she did. And because of this, her alliance with the Lancasters kind of fell apart. They did not appreciate getting sidelined whenever they disagreed with Roger. They were like, why is this one guy's opinion so much more important than ours? And I'm like, because they're sleeping together. But <laughs> who cares? Um, did you see what happened with the dispensers? Yeah. It gives you some influence. <laughs> and so that wasn't doing great. During her reign, she accumulated an absurd amount of wealth. So she married Edward III, her son, off to Philip of Hainault, whose super rich family was cousins with Isabella, but again, not mentioning that, and had partially funded her invasion. And she also managed to make herself one of the largest landholders in all of England. So between this marriage, the dowry involved in her insane amount of landholdings, she had some money. And at a certain point, she also tried to push her son's claim to the French throne because, like, technically she was the French princess. And she was like, hey, shouldn't my son be, like, fourth in line for the throne? And the French were like, we don't want that. Please go away. Yeah, and, don't push your luck there. But she ended up going to the hostile to the hostile neighbors of France, such as the Castilians, and being like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if my son was the king? And even offered to marry off her younger son, John, to a Castilian princess. But, like, nothing really ever came of that because her reign was cut short not long after. However, you're really, like, kicking a gift horse in the mouth here. Because, mm. like, your brother was real nice to you when you were going through some stuff. She stopped one war. What is she trying to do? Start another? I guess. But in 1330, Edward III turned 18 and was pretty much like hey my turn go away i'm king now what she couldn't control him anymore i guess so he had roger mortimer executed for treason no yeah he was like pretty frustrated with roger's stranglehold on power and there was a certain point where like roger had claimed that his opinion was more important than the king's which, like, was a stupid thing to say. And it was also very possible that at this point, Isabella was pregnant with Roger's son, or child of some sort, which would have been disastrous for Edward's claim for the throne because Mortimer, kid with royal blood, would have been supported by, like, all the barons. And I'm so just... Edward wanted to take care of this whole situation. I'm just thinking, like, how did Isabella let... Edward III, like, get this far. There's plenty of occasions of the, like, regent queen just kind of mistreating the, uh, the quote-unquote king. Oh, no, I think Isabella actually, like, really liked her children. Like, she was a good mom. Oh, she liked them. Okay. Yeah. That changes everything. No, she was a big fan of her kids. Okay. Yeah. So at a certain point, Isabella like even threw herself at her son's feet and was like, please don't kill my like lover. And Edward really couldn't not kill him, but he did manage a little bit of mercy. So after his trial for treason, he just like very simply and quickly executed Edward instead, er, sorry, not Edward, executed Roger instead of 
what the actual sentence for treason was, which is a dr being drawn and quartered. Oh, God. So, you know, he tried to show a little bit of mercy for his mom, I guess. He put his mom under house arrest for two years because, like, for show and whatnot, but he also made sure that she was portrayed as an innocent bystander in the whole situation, like, woman being manipulated by a stronger man, being told what to do so he could get power, blah, 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 like, the whole story we always see. At least he seems to like his mom, I guess. I mean, yeah, he protected her, but I'm also, like, she did this. She, she made these choices for herself, you know? <laughs> But after her house arrest, she was she lived very comfortably. She had like a castle. She had a household. Like she was she was fine. She what still had all to this supposed baby. We don't know. Okay. No. So after her house arrest, she lived comfortably, but not at the royal court anymore. She like lived in her castle, like nearby, but like wasn't really supposed to be around the court too much. But she was still super influential like all the nobles would come and like get her opinion on things before asking her son and like she visited her grandchildren all the time and they came to visit her and like she saw her kids all the time like she she was comfy you know and she was still lavishly wealthy like she had to forfeit a lot of her lands to her son because of like the politics of it but he gave her a three thousand pound a year salary which in that time was a a ton of money and he even raised it to four thousand before her death yeah this is the least harsh punishment ever <laughs> i know right and during this time she also got really close to her daughter joan who eventually left her unfaithful scottish king husband and came back to england to like nurse her mother in her later years and hang out and they were super close that's basically a family tradition by this point yeah so she had a very nice like rest of her life and be shortly before she died, she became a nun. Okay. That's a choice. I don't really know why, but she did. And she died on August 22nd, 1358. She left pretty much all of her property to her favorite grandson, who was known as the Black Prince, Edward IV. Ooh. I wanted to look up why he was known as the Black Prince, but also I wanted to go to bed last night, so that's what I did instead. Okay. <laughs> and she left a lot of her like jewels and personal stuff to Joan because they were besties <laughs> and okay so she insisted on being buried in her wedding mantle with her husband Edward II's heart at her feet <laughs> like remember she had a casket with her husband's heart <gasps> even in death so petty yeah no, she was petty to her last breath, and I love it. <laughs> and pretty much since her death, she has been depicted in a ton of plays, including Shakespeare. Shakespeare is an Edward II play, and she is in it, and she is like the manipulative like Lady Macbeth character in it, which you know what is correct. <laughs> and she is just generally a femme fatale character in plays, movies, books, like anything about this time period that mentions her, she is depicted as like manipulative, like sexy woman. It sounds pretty know, accurate. I'm here for it. <laughs> and that is the story of Queen Isabella, the she-wolf of France. Well, that was fascinating. I right? <laughs> I, had a, I had a really good time with this one. What a character. <laughs> She's goals. 
<laughs> like she was given a bad situation and she was like, what if I took this bad situation and had a great life? <laughs> and there's so much more here that I like didn't go over. And I know like at some point when we get better at this whole podcasting thing, I'm going to really regret having like already done this story because I could have done so much better. But like, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it too. And there's no quilt wall because this is from the 1300s. That's fair. Tell me something I don't need to know, Ellen. Alright, well, Sam, have you ever found yourself in possession of a very large fortune of ill-gotten gains? I can't say I have. Okay, but if you ever are, here's how you can launder your money, okay? Oh my god, how is this what we're talking about today? Let's go. <laughs> so first off, we're going to go over the most common type of money laundering. Now, usually the stereotypical money laundering is, you know, the drug cartels and the crime boss are running a laundromat and putting in their cash into the service industry. In Breaking Bad, it's a car wash, I think. Sure. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. But the more common type of money laundering is really just getting money out of whatever country it's in. Mostly to avoid paying taxes. But the most common is in China. See, China's got a lot of really strict laws about money. And you aren't allowed to convert it. You aren't allowed to convert a large sum of it from the Chinese currency to like any other kind of national currency. They actually, it says you aren't allowed to convert a measure of fifty thousand dollars U.S. dollars. <laughs> there are laws, in, which tells you all you need to know about the Chinese faith in their own currency. Cool, cool, cool. Mm-hmm. So. And there's also the problem where sometimes really rich people in China disappear. Who knows where they went? Like, government disappear or like, I don't want to be in China anymore disappear? No, no, government disappear. Okay. They go on a boat. You don't see them again. You know. Sounds about right. Okay. So that, that's a problem for the rich in China. So they need to find Have ways. Have you read Crazy Retrations? I... I saw that movie with you. I know, but it's like a trilogy. Oh my god, it's a trilogy? Yeah, they haven't made the rest of the movies yet, but the books were way better. Than oh god, I'm such a hipster. The book, the book was way better than the movie, though. Okay, but wasn't that about Singapore rich people? The second book's about China. Oh. Hence why I asked if you read it, because <gasps> it's like, the first book's not about China. Yes. Why'd you bring this up? Because you were talking about rich people in China, and that's all I know about it. <laughs> cool. Moving on. So, I'm a rich person in China. And I would like to be a rich person somewhere else. Because I don't want to be disappeared. So, here is one of the most common methods of getting around this you can't convert too much money rule. You pay a travel agent a lot of money. So much money. And then you get yourself an all-expenses-paid trip over to Macau, which is like in a special economic zone 
that's like kind of owned by China, but not really. Oh, it's like the Las Vegas of China, right? It is Las Vegas of China. It is the capital of gambling in the world. It's the home of sin. Yes, and Las Vegas comes in like a distant second. You go over there, and you get your trip, and you get yourself like a million dollars worth of poker chips. And then you play around with a little bit of the gambling, you know, play some hands. And then you take your more or less million poker chips, cash them out, and they're like, oh, what currency do you want it in? And you're like, I would like a million US dollars. And done. You now have a bunch of foreign currency. Good for you. <laughs> I like that you're doing this like an infomercial. <laughs> Now, you may be wondering, hey, how come China doesn't just shut this down? Well, China's been, like, doing their best to convince all of the little territories around it to join them. Like, we all know the the whole thing with Hong Kong. And Taiwan. Yeah, and, oh, Taiwan's even more complicated. (laughs) But with Macau, gambling is, like, their main industry. So if they came in and like regulated and or like destroyed any bit of it, then Hong Kong and Taiwan would be like, yeah, th- this is it. Time time for a whole up protest upheaval. We're out. I'm sure Mikhail would also be like, you know, I think we're out too. I don't I don't think they would all like that either. No. So China kind of has to play nice with this, but they have made it harder. But you can still do the same thing by just going to Las Vegas. So, not that much harder. Okay. So then, you got your money. You got a lot of money. And what you want to do with it is you're going to use it to buy a very large thing. This can be like a nice condo. Preferably in London, because they have some nice laws or something. (laughs) You get yourself a nice safe portfolio of investments and then from there and you're going to get yourself an e-lock an equity line of credit now basically what this is is you give you tell the bank cool i have this thing and i'm going to be paying you this very safe mortgage and I am a guaranteed payer because I have so much money. And then they will say, okay, here's this credit card, this magic credit card. And you can basically spend half as much as whatever your asset is worth just for free. That's your walking around money. Sounds like a nice life. It is. So let's say you bought something that's worth $100 million. They'll like you, they'll give you the equity line of credit for like $50 million. You can use that $50 million to buy something else. And then they can, you can put that on the bank portfolio. And then you can have like $25 million in your ELOC and it just keeps going. Now, let's say you want to do something more complicated. There's a couple other ways that we can do our nice little money laundering. One is the 
as we mentioned before, the cash intensive businesses where basically the businesses work in a lot of cash and usually they are some kind of service industry. The quality is subjective. It doesn't matter how much things cost because there's no like, there's very little overhead. A couple examples are the laundromat, hence the name money laundering, car washes like in Breaking Bad, apparently arcades. So that's Ooh, fun. that's a good one. I know. If I have any launder money, I'm doing an arcade. Cool. You do that. I will. Probably not because I <laughs> don't live that lifestyle, but like in my head I will. Okay. I could breaking bad it. I'm gonna be a professor. What would you breaking bad? I mean, breaking bad the entire concept is like a chemistry professor makes drugs and sells them. Okay, I get that, but like you're not a chemistry professor. You don't know that? What are you gonna you're gonna be like a mob doctor like specialize in treating rare forms of cancer for only for only the top of the mafia i mean mafia bosses can still get breast cancer yes okay with this there's about there's three main steps placement Get the money in there, layering, mix it up with the clean money, and then integration where you just start spending it and you live your happy life with your new ill-gotten gains. But there's a couple other ways to do this. We can also do some, it's called trade-based laundering, which the quintessential example is the art market, okay? So art is very subjective. So it's only worth what we decide it's worth. That's what they do in Crazy Rich Asians. Sounds about right. If you read the sequel, which okay. uh, there are multiple sequels and I've read all of them. <laughs> <laughs> the easily identifiable example, and this is arguably not money laundering per se, but you know, tax dodging. The banana that was taped to the wall for like a couple thousand dollars. Yes, exactly. So basically you hire an artist to paint something, anything. And then you buy it. And then through a series of auction house art dealer shenanigans, it gets itself on the auction block. And then you bid on it yourself, not actually as yourself through your lawyer or a proxy or somebody else so it's not glaringly obvious but we all know what's happening and there's a couple bids and then finally you bid it you bid for it at a way higher price than you paid for now all you've achieved is you have gotten yourself the same painting that you already had but now it's supposedly worth more but no one would buy it at that price because you did that yourself. But let's say the government, which, you know, provided you with this nice platform of infrastructure with which to gain all this money, wants you to pay taxes and actually contribute to the society you live in. How dare they? I know. So you take your overly inflated art piece 
and you donate it to a museum and suddenly you have got a 20 million dollar tax credit done so that's one of the ways they do this art is also very popular for the mega rich because it's easy to store its value doesn't depreciate over time if anything it usually appreciates <laughs> and it's pretty recognizable you can show it off to your rich friends so all good things like snoodly like oh yes this piece shows the blue era or whatever exactly there's even like a subset of really expensive watches like above like rolex like we're talking better than that like three million dollars like strange head sure yeah like we're talking like 10 million dollar watches and the idea is that not only is this still something small something you can show off to your rich friends you something you can keep on you but if let's say you have to escape china because they're about to disappear you you have about 10 million dollars right on your wrist so that's a nice security even if we don't have evidence of this actually happening you know how much do you think my bitch tits painting would like go for an auction <sighs> it's proudly displayed on my wall i think jackie would need some serious pr but sure why not for context my friend jackie made me a triptych of just like beautiful paintings with curse words on top two of which got possibly ruined or possibly ellen has them i'm not entirely sure oh i have the other two you have the other two yeah i was supposed to give them back to you you were supposed to take them i know i are they still stuck together no they are currently on my wall cool that means that we have something connects us (laughs) pretty much what happened was i had uh command strips on the back and the sticky part got caught in the move at some point and i didn't know how to take them apart so i left them with ellen when i moved away from georgia and then never took them back when she got them apart eventually so now I have one on my wall here, and Ellen has two on her wall there. Yes, I am now the proud owner of a painting that says Douche Canoe. And Cum Bucket. Oh, great. That's what the other one says, right? It is. And I've got bitch tits. Cool. And you know what? Everyone who comes into my bedroom comments on it. Good? Nice painting. My friend Taylor said that it goes really well with my bedspread. <laughs> and I think it would go for a lot in an art auction if everyone to launder a bunch of money. Okay. Hmm. Let's see. Other fun facts. Money laundering wasn't actually illegal till 1986. Before then, if you wanted to arrest someone, you had to get them on, like, tax evasion. That's what happened to Al Capone. I was literally just about to say that. Of course, he's the quintessential example. But now the government can just be like, yeah, that seems sketchy. And look into your financial records, which like invades privacy laws a little bit. But at the same time, you know, the mega rich are the ones who are committing these crimes. So like you don't have a lot of pity? Not, not, not at all, actually. <laughs> You have enough money that you can 
by millions of dollars worth of art and then through a convoluted series of events use that art to avoid paying taxes i have no pity for you <laughs> oh there's a couple other things people do uh setting up fake charities and then making themselves a employee on the board of directors in that charity <clears throat> donald trump yes and then giving themselves an insane salary taking your money and putting it in a offshore tax haven Cayman, Cayman Islands. Island. What? I said Cayman Islands as you were saying it because I'm yeah. awful. <laughs> yes, Cayman Islands. Very big. Apparently there's like one five-story building that is supposedly the headquarters of over 200 businesses. <laughs> yeah, so just think about that for a little bit. Yeah, what I'd rather think about. The grilled cheese I'm about to make myself for dinner. Great. <laughs> well, I think that means we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> so that's money laundering. Don't do it. But if you do, do it right. Be smart about it. Exactly. So, oh, yeah. Would you like some examples? Always. Well, the Charterhouse Bank in Kenya apparently was the bank was being used for money laundering on multiple accounts that just didn't have any customer information and this was about 1.5 billion dollars before the scam was uncovered wow there's like too much concentrated wealth in this world so many of these examples were banks i mean oh, yeah this is they have all the money like i knew that it was mostly banks and not like drug cartels. And yet through the research, oh, Fortnite had a, had a scandal. Tell me. Yes, in 2018, the cybersecurity six skill posed as customers. And then they discovered that stolen credit card details could be used to purchase the Fortnite's in-game currency which are V-Bucks. And then you could buy the in-game purchases and then you can sell that for actual money. <laughs> to which Epic Games, the makers of Fortnite, their response was, hey, secure your account. Please don't do that. Wait, Epic Games, why do I know that? Because they made Fortnite. I feel like I know someone who works there. It's so like, you know, I'll think about it later. You know people who work for a different company. No, I, I know that you work for Epic. No, I think <laughs> I know someone who works for the gaming company Epic also. <laughs> There's a couple of like people who did it, but they got caught. So that's boring. Super boring. Deutsche Bank. Of course, Deutsche Bank. <laughs> wait, wait. Deutsche Bank was accused in a vast money laundering scheme Dodged the global laundromat. Deutsche Bank funded the Nazis and Donald um, Trump. That's like enough points against them in my book. Yeah, it involved secret Russian accounts that were transferred from the European Union in Estonia, Latvia, and Cyprus. And apparently the total value of laundered currency 
is as high as $80 billion. But again, we don't know because we can't keep track of any of this. You know what? We don't stand Deutsche Bank. We do not. Well, I think that's a good place to stop. Any questions about money laundering? So, Ellen, what did you learn today? <laughs> I learned about Isabella, the she-wolf. <laughs> I never found anywhere in my research why she got that nickname, but everywhere agreed that that was her nickname. She earned it. Okay. I learned that she had a husband who sucked, <laughs> but that, you know what? She probably murdered him. And that makes up for it. It does. <laughs> she had to fight her husband's boyfriends way too often. <laughs> well, she seemed to have a good family in with her brother, and she actually seemed to like her kids, which is a nice change. <laughs> Overall, her and Roger Mortimer's love affair will be known as one of the greatest romances of all time. <laughs> She said she helped him escape from her own prison. Allegedly. <laughs> Sam, what did you learn? I learned about money laundering. <laughs> and I made you cry as an editor. But yeah, I learned that there's a lot of different ways to launder money. I learned that while they didn't explicitly say it, I think most of the book Crazy Rich Agents might have been about, the second book, might have been about money laundering. I learned about what to do so that you can lend money and not be stupid about it and not get caught like the people on your list who you didn't read. All right, fine. Here are three people who got caught. <laughs> Jose Franklin Horado Rod Rodriguez. He was a Harvard College and Columbia University graduate school of art and sciences economics department alumnus. Could he have any more words in that title? God. And you know what? That just proves that you don't need an Ivy League education, fam. Yeah, he was convicted in Luxembourg in June 1990. Great country. I've been. <laughs> I was there for a single day. Great. There's also Naglap Seng, a Chinese. I'm sorry. Apologize to the entire country of China. He was a Chinese billionaire real estate developer from Macau who was sentenced to only four years in prison. Yeah, that sounds right. Yep. But look, China and Macau, those two places I mentioned earlier. Wow. <laughs> and finally, Ferdinand Marcos. We don't know how much he stole. Probably $10 billion of government assets, but who really knows? And he seemed to launder it through every single country. But we're going to hit with United States, Liechtenstein, Austria, and Panama. So don't be like those people. No, be better. Launder your money more successfully. Exactly. And that's, well, that's our stories. Yeah. If you want well, to find us. Oh, sorry, you go I was going to ask. Never mind. No, you ask. Sam, where can you find and support this podcast? You can find us on the interwebs. We're on Instagram at Chaos Podcast. We're on Twitter at underscore Chaos Podcast. You can send us an email and tell us how much you love us at chaospodcast21 at gmail.com. 
You can also tell us you love us in five star iTunes reviews, which we'd really, really appreciate. <laughs> so yeah, interact with us. It would make us feel better about our lives. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the chaos. Safe travels. Bye.